Let us pray. Almighty God, source of life and love, come and take up your dwelling in us. We do not ask this day for dazzling displays of strength, exercises of intellectual prowess, or marvelous manifestations of miracles. We come simply to worship you. Touch us this day, O Lord, sinners that we are, that we might become your saints, your body, your children, your church. For this temple of your spirit is not built upon our own abilities, knowledge, or restorative skill, but upon you in Jesus Christ. As we come to your word today, give us fresh insight. We invite your Holy Spirit to come guide us as we read, listen, and respond to your truths. The word of God is a gift, and we thank you for revealing yourself to us through it. May we leave here changed because we have experienced the power of your word today. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Our first reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 13 and 16 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Thus ends the reading of the first lesson.
honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, let us stand for the reading of the Gospel. The reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. May be seated. One of the features of Methodism that is distinctive to us in many ways and unique is that we are a connectional church. Every United Methodist Church is connected to every other around the globe um, in faith, in mission, and through a series of conferences. We were created that way on purpose. Mr. Wesley believed that's the best expression of the church from the New Testament. And when the, when the movement came to America and the church began to grow, it became obvious that that type of connected movement needed superintending. Someone needed to make sure that we were staying connected in healthy ways. So we adopted an Episcopal form of church government, meaning we have bishops. And our first for many years was Bishop Asbury, who had all of the churches to himself. And after a while, realized that that was more superintending than he could manage alone. Um, in the late 18th, early 19th centuries. And so he created an office which he later called My Creature. It was an office of presiding elder where he took ordained elders and gave them geographic areas and invited them to share his work in superintending the churches in those areas. That, that lives on in our system now in the office of district superintendent. A district superintendent works as an extension of the bishop's office and superintends the work of a geographic area of churches. We're in the capital district here at First Cary, and that means we're in a district that extends from Goldsboro to us. We are the southwest corner of that district. And our district superintendent, Grace Southern, superintends the work of 104 churches and 156 pastors. You should pray for him every day. <laughs> He, the man herds cats all the time, superintending 156 pastors. We're fortunate to have Gray as the superintendent of this district. Gray, Gray has a very distinguished ministry in our annual conference. He served churches from Oriental to Wilson to Durham to Greenville to our sister church at Apex. He's serving on the cabinet as a superintendent for the second time. The, a bishop, a different bishop, has invited him to live into that role because of his gifts and graces for this particular work. He served the larger church. He's been um, head of our delegation to General Conference. He has uh, served on the General Board of Pensions, for which all the pastors give him thanks um, and praise his name. Um, we are blessed to have him in this district. He has gifts and graces that are unique for this particular work. 
And I'm personally blessed to have Gray as my superintendent. Gray and I have been friends for many, many years. We started, our friendship started when we were both young pastors in the conference. So you know it was a while ago. Um, and we've been, we've been friends, do what? Why has changed? Why has much has changed, but some things haven't. We've been good friends for many, many years. And I can tell you, having been on both sides of the superintendent's desk, that it's not always the case that your superintendent is someone who is your friend with whom you can be honest and candid and who will be honest and candid back with you in return, which strengthens your ministry. And he gives me the grace of allowing me to be a part of his and, and being someone he confides in. So it's a blessing to me. It is a blessing to us all. We've invited him here today, not just to consecrate the building, which he's already done, but to preach the word. And I invite you to welcome our friend Grace Southern to First Carry this morning. Grace and peace to you from God and from Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Congratulations, First Church Carry. This is a day of joy and the day of expectancy, I would hope. Joy that part of your work of renovating and building is done and expectancy about what is yet to come. Uh, the applause you greeted, the announcements, and the reminder that this is a first Sunday in here, I think is a testament to the excitement that you as First Church Carry can well feel. You represent the gospel of Christ Jesus to your community as well as to each other. You're part of a vital web of relationship amongst all sorts of pastors and churches and the witness of Jesus Christ, not just in North Carolina, but around the world. And so I'm grateful for who you are and what you do by the very fact that you embody the goodness of God in the ways you do your work, but more significantly, do the ministry of embracing the people around you. You're served by a host of very gifted lay leaders. Your building committee has already been celebrated. They certainly deserve your recognition and thanks. A really gifted lay staff um, that it's a joy to work with. And certainly shepherds or pastors that are known across our conference as being gifted folks. I'm grateful for Colin, for Heather, for Martha, and for Ben happily celebrating his new marriage. And I invite you to celebrate all those good things with them. Once in my ministry, I had the gift to be um, the pastor of Carl Frazier's home church. I was actually his parents' pastor for a period of time. They were incredibly good to me, but not his parents, though they would agree to this. Um, two or three times in the course of my life at that church in Wilson, the leaders of West Nash said, we may have done many things well for which we are grateful, but we are none prouder of anything than we are to be uh, the home church of Carl Frazier and think of him as our son. And so I'm sure you share that sense of satisfaction in his giftedness and in his leadership and his ministry. For all those good gifts and for your future, let us pray. Almighty God, because you pour out your spirit on us, we praise you. Because you fill us with your power, we adore you. Because you make us your own, we love you. For the gift that is First Church Carry and your call in each of our lives to be a part of it. For those who lead it, lay and clergy alike, we praise you. Knit people and pastor, pastor and people together. The knit is your body. The people of First Church Carry, as they have and as they do, will always, by your spirit, offer the heart of Christ from the heart of Carry. To the world you love so much, you gave yourself to us in the gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So let's think a moment about what it is to have a building. 
Um, you've consecrated and today for the first time are worshiping in this lovely space. Uh, you have other work to do. I know you anticipate the buildings you love so much being remodeled, remade, and repurposed for your own use. So that means you have some housework to do. We need to think about what it is to be the church and what it is as the church to use the buildings God puts in our care. Uh, as Carl said, I have lots of occasions to talk to pastors and to, to encourage them to think about what it is to do the work of Jesus Christ. We have a new pastor in our district. Um, he's a young, very gifted guy. He went to his first church back in July, and he was very eager, albeit somewhat a novice, at the work of being a shepherd, the work of a pastor. So he um, asked his lay leaders to help him, to tell him what he needed to do and how he could build relationships with the folks in his flock. Um, they are obliging him. They know they have a gifted pastor in this young man. And so a couple of weeks in, to this um, ministry, he was told by some of his leaders that the oldest member of their church was about to turn 100, and she, he was invited to her birthday party. Um, so if he was smart enough to go. Uh, I think he didn't anticipate that he would be um, seated right beside the honoree because he's her pastor. And he is new at this and relatively very young and um, didn't quite know how to do all the social stuff. He gave, gave out of small talk about 45 seconds in, I gather, and desperate to have something to say to this 100-year-old lady, turned to her and said, so ma'am, do you have any children? Not yet, she said, uh, as she answered him back. <laughs> and so I know about that because he called me to say, so what should I have said to that? And I told him to change the topic and just move on. <laughs> but you know, I dearly love that saint because she is what it is to be a child of God. She's filled with hope and expectancy and aware that God has something yet to do. What is it to be the people of First Church Cary and to build buildings and repurpose others? What is it to be the church? To be the church is to be the people of hope. To be aware that it is not us, but the God who loves us, who gave himself for us, and that in the life and death and rising of Jesus shows that in every time and every circumstance, we are the people called to hope. In the scripture lessons you've heard, we are reminded that individually our very bodies are the temples of Christ and that we're to honor them and respect them. But you're, we're also told that while we may be individual temples to Christ, our collective whole, all of us together in this space and in this congregation and in the whole of the church of Jesus, we are the body of Christ, a building built not with hands, but built by the very power of the Spirit alive and to work in us. That we who were once no people are now God's people and brought into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ by power not of our own making. But bodies have to have homes. Like the apostle said, you have to tend to your temple, you have to tend to your body. And so the body of Christ has always used physical things and built houses for itself. In those spaces, we use physical things and the buildings themselves to be those people of hope. I grew up in a church about 36 and a half miles away. I Googled it to find out exactly how far from this spot to there. Um, I grew up in Smithfield, North Carolina, and I enjoyed the buildings of my home body of Christ, my home church, in a variety of ways, of which I want to remind you this morning. You do it too, regardless of be you for the first time ever in a space, 
fascinating to watch y'all come in because you didn't know where to sit. You had to figure out the negotiation of all that stuff. And it's also fascinating to see people remember that being the church is not dependent upon being in that sanctuary or in this space. But being the church is to use the physical things God puts in our hands to remember what it is to be the people of hope. The first sign in remembrance of hope that any of us receives as part of the body of Christ is when we are baptized. Now, I was baptized in that church 36 and a half miles away, not with this pitcher and not with this bowl, but with something like it. I have to quickly point out that since I was an infant, I don't remember my baptism. I don't remember being born the first time either, and so I don't really care. I know I'm here, and I know what was accomplished in my baptism. I was grafted into the body of Christ, made a part of the whole, and embraced by a fellowship who promised to nurture and to keep me, even when I did things like I did eight years later and pushed a hymnal from the balcony ledge off on top of my Sunday school teacher. Still loved, still embraced, and still remembered. Because I was washed and made a part of the body. Recently, as in only a few weeks ago, some very sincere Christians asked um, with great trepidation whether or not it was right to baptize this little baby. And they were concerned about whether or not it was right to baptize the child because they take exception to some of the moral qualities of her parents. So what does this child's parents have to do with whether or not Jesus wants to hold her and wants to embrace her? The baptism is the fact that all of us, children, youth, adults, all of us are far away from the fullness of what God asks of us. All of us are broken and flawed. But the baptism was for me, as I told them, a reminder that God wills to embrace that child. True, her parents, and if they can't, her sponsors have to promise to rear her in the faith. But if that promise can be made, then the baptism happens because she is acceptable to God, not because of what her parents have and haven't done, not because of what she may or may not someday do, or because of what, for some of us baptized at older ages, we've got in our past but because of the redeeming love of God for us in Jesus Christ that welcomes us all and makes us all a part of the body. So part of our housework is to remember that we create the community and then the space and then the physical things that are used to baptize and to show a world that is very, very aware of who you come from, who you are, where you went to school, what you do, how much you've got, what you did and didn't do 25 years ago, and a whole host of other stuff. That to God, so what? That you and I matter because we are God's daughters and sons, made in God's image and redeemed by Jesus. To a world that never hears that talk, and is only ready to judge each other and themselves with that sort of reality. Once made a part of the body, uh, most of us in our homes and our houses eat, right? Well, my home church has a table much like this one, and much as you have a chalice and a patent sitting here to remind you of the sacraments, so in my home church, on that table, often we share the Lord's meal. The Lord's meal is about Jesus who came and embodied God, literally the body of flesh inhabited by God and making us one with God, and offering God's very life for us in death and yet rising 
and then telling us before that night that he would fill us with his power if we come and eat and ask him to become a part of us and us a part of him. So as you probably gathered, my parents were very devout people. And my um, mom was once upon a time chair of what was then called the altar guild. And stuff like this mattered to her a great deal. It had to look right, be right. And she would spend time every week at the church making sure it was all going to be okay. Um, to do that, she always wore gloves. And to date myself, she would often wear gloves to church. But I can remember as a little kid, uh, when we went forward for communion, her making a great big quiet deal of her pulling off her right glove because she was right-handed. And the custom and the tradition is that you don't receive communion in a gloved hand because it implies that your hand is too good to get dirty with whomever's hand you're shaking or whatever you're touching. And so it was a big deal to her to make sure her glove was off because it showed Jesus that she knew she needed him and she was not too clean and too pure not to reach out and to grab hold. So at the very first time I celebrated communion as a pastor of God's church, there was this discussion about who was worthy, who was worthy to come and to take. Now, in our world, we judge worthiness all the time. Uh, my kids are in school, and I'm worried about their grades, right? Because I want them, to, well, number one, I want them to get out of school for a lot of reasons. But I want them to go on and to do well from where they are. And we live in a world where there's lots of judgment. Last night, Susan, my wife, and I met lifelong friends of mine for dinner, and um, I realized as soon as I'd done it, they and we complimented our server for her graciousness, her efficiency, and how kind she was. In other words, we were judging the lady bringing us our food. We live in that sort of world where I made a judgment when I left the tip about how much her graciousness was worth. We live in a world where we are judged all the time. We live in a world where we judge too. Some of us have certainly been found wanting, right? And most of us would be found wanting if they only knew. And so here at this meal, we remember that we will never be wanting if we come to the one who promises to fill our hearts, to save our lives, and fill our souls. You'll have a wonderful substitute pulpit. Maybe substitute isn't a good word for it. Um, it's what you're going to use, I gather, for a while. Very cool. Um, in this place, this desk serves as the spot where God's word is read and good news is told. From my personal judgment, we now live in a time in a world where evidently you can say pretty much anything you want to say to anybody you want to say it to, and there are not many consequences. There's a lot of bad word out there. I don't mean just curse words, but just trouble and pain and evil and hurt. But we come here together around this desk to hear the good word, the word that promises life and joy and peace to an admittedly sometimes disbelieving world, but a world that looks to the body that they look to to be the body of hope, a body that embodies that word, that remembers I am a temple of God's. I am knit together with my fellow believers to be Jesus' body on earth. I gather in spaces to use things to convey to you hope, the hope of Jesus for a world that cries out for Jesus. 
Y'all in a lovely space. I actually happen to like this room a lot. I've been here for a church meeting. Um, I've gotten to see Carl up here on the stage looking very wise and sage, talking to people out there at table. Um, the perfect teacher, I have to point out. Um, I've been here to see your youth in here. I've not yet seen the basketball goals down and put to work, but I hope I get to see that sometime. And it's also a space y'all are using for worship. Right now the chairs are facing up here for a lot of reasons. But in this room, more often than not, I suspect the chairs are going to be facing each other. That's for a good reason. The good thing about the church is they'll take just about anybody. And the bad thing about the church is they'll take just about anybody. And so y'all wind up having to deal with each other, just about anybody, which is where the Holy Spirit comes into play. My home church in the space like this, it's called Wesley Hall. Um, I remember Bible school. I remember youth meetings. I remember my parents' funeral receptions. I remember a whole variety of times and places when I was embraced and taught the good gospel of Jesus Christ. I also have a couple of memories of meetings that were not so much fun. I remember a time the chairs were lined up facing each other, and my parents' Sunday school class had a small war about who and who couldn't come to church. Could black people come and join their Sunday school class? Y'all all look at me like you're startled, but you know that's not true. Uh, the church is not the place where folks always behave like Christians. The church sometimes has to reckon with itself. And that can be face-to-face -face with each other, hearing truths that may sometimes rock our lives and make us more like Christ and less like the world. When I was a kid, there was a bad ice storm one winter. Uh, just east of Smithfield is an interstate, 95. I bet you've been on it before. And this ice storm traffic ground to a halt, and there were hundreds and hundreds of people um, who could have either spent their nights in frozen cars in a frozen highway or could be conveyed by the highway patrol to some site to keep them warm and safe. Evidently, the highway patrol commander called the pastor of my home church, who called the trustee chair, who called some other trustees. My dad was a trustee. And they had to have a discussion about whether or not it was okay, but they quickly decided they would open the doors of the church. So Friday night, Saturday night, these people slept in the church. Some slept on pews in the sanctuary, others on blankets on the floor in the room like this. Um, the following Sunday morning, as you might guess from what I've told you about my folks, we went to church. We were those folks who went to church when it rained and when it snowed and every time the door opened. Um, and I was amazed because I saw when I walked in the sanctuary people who were sleeping and snoring, sitting up out of the pews. We weren't allowed to do stuff like that at Centenary Church. It's not sort of who we were. Um, and that afternoon there was a vigorous discussion because the church was dirty because people who get out of their trucks and their cars after being stuck in it for a day in an ice storm smell and have it shaved or showered, and they don't all know the proper way to behave in the sanctuary or the fellowship hall. And there was a really vigorous, I gather, discussion when people challenged the trustees about misusing the church building and that the church building was dirty. Until one sweet son of God said, which is what Jesus would do for us, right? And then turned to the commander of the highway patrol and said, I hope the building is dirty. I hope it is really messed up. I hope something is broken. 
because that means that those people will know we love Jesus and we love them and we're reaching out to show them the love of Jesus. Y'all will have choices about things like that too. You already have about whether or not to show the love of Jesus by the way you use your spaces to create the gift and community of hope for the world around you. And so what will happen as you use this space, a remodeled space, as you use these physical things to remind yourselves that you are the body of hope and become hope for the broken world? In the words of the psalm that we said responsively as worship began, a place near your altar, a place near your house, O God, my Lord and my King, is all I desire. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you, for they have found that their strength and their joy lies in you. May this house be such a place for you. And here, may you come to have more and more hope in Jesus Christ. And having more and more hope in Jesus Christ, can you become for Carrie and for the world, the hope of the world, Christ Jesus in the body. In the name of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.